Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist Podcast, spiritual healing from trauma and abuse for empaths, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. I am your host, Raven Scott, spiritual mentor and author, and I'm empowering empaths three times a week in recovery and healing from narcissistic abuse and childhood trauma through human design, self-care, mindfulness advice, and expert interviews. Subscribe now. This is Season 5, Episode 17, Understanding the Impact of Addiction and Narcissism, the Story of the Human Trafficker's Wife. She was a loving housewife. He was a hardworking husband. Together, they shared three precious boys. Their marriage wasn't perfect, but there was love between them, and it worked, right until that fateful day when it all fell apart. This is the true story of Amanda who through no fault of her own found herself caught up in the darkest, most insidious corners of the criminal world of sex trafficking minors. Her husband, the man she loved, and the father of her children was a criminal. And when it all came down, she was left holding the pieces. Read the true shocking story in The Sex Trafficker's Wife, a story of truth, faith, and trust in self. Her message is, the only person who can change your life is you. Every single person has the power to choose differently. Are you ready? Grab your copy on Amazon today. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional help. If you are experiencing fear, anxiety, and confusion from the narcissist, then I strongly recommend that you speak to a professional. I've been there, and when I left my narcissist, I found talk therapy to be extremely beneficial. And this is why I chose BetterHelp as a sponsor. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp, who offers licensed therapists who are trained to allow you to talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. Finding a therapist is easy. Just fill out the questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Everything you share is completely confidential in therapy. Join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash E-M-P-A-T-H. The link is in the show notes. Addiction can cause immense amounts of suffering, immeasurable pain, and unbearable heartache, but healing is possible. Discover the powerful story of recovery from addiction and narcissism through the human trafficker's wife, our guest, Amanda. She's an author, mother to three boys, wife, a quantum energy healer and coach, speaker and spiritual channel. Her story is so powerful to open our eyes in understanding the impact of porn and sex addiction in the narcissist. And she will be sharing with us how to heal from the consequences of their actions and protect your children. This year, the year of the rabbit, does have a clash in it as shared by Jillian Rothschild in episode four in this current season five. She's a master Chinese astrologer and she shared with us the year ahead. And this topic of human trafficking, sexual offenses, and internet catfishing will be prominent in 2023. And it's important for us to know this, to protect our children and to also heal as a collective. So just as my own personal note, T 
teach your children young about the internet stalkers. They are on Roblox. They are children who have been kidnapped because of a friend they met on Roblox. They're on YouTube. Our little ones are on the internet. They were born with the internet. So we need to prepare them and teach them that there are predators. Not everyone is nice. And just like when you go to the mall, you don't have them go up and say hi to a random stranger says, hey, can you help me with a puppy or let me say hello? Like you don't allow strangers to just talk to them and say hello in person. And it needs to be the same on the internet. So that's just my personal opinion and disclaimer and just education about this. We can't keep our heads in the sand. We need to prepare them. So tell them not to make friends online, especially through games. Tell them it's not okay to let anyone guilt them or bully them into sending pictures of themselves, which is how it all starts. There is so much happening just in the own home without even being kidnapped or being pulled into the physical realm. Pornography is through pictures, the internet. All they need is a picture and everyone can take a picture with their iPad or phone. And children get coaxed into it by these expert scammers and expert predators. So of course, number one, they don't make friends with any random strangers on the internet. That's number one rule. And obviously number two is don't send them anything. Don't send them pictures and stuff. So this is the first step in that shaming of hiding the secrets that leads to other devious offenses, right? These kind of pictures and talking to a stranger online. And then that enters into the physical realm and that sexual ring. And I know there's so many other factors like Again, human trafficking is literally from kidnapping and also it can be done by somebody in your own family that you trust, just like sexual abuse and emotional abuse. This is how it all starts. So empowering our youth to know the signs, to understand that there are predators, this is what's really important. So let's follow Amanda's journey today as she dealt with the unbearable heartache while learning how to find hope, forgiveness, and ultimately freedom and power to write her book. So let's listen into this conversation today. Hello, Amanda. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. When you reached out, I was like, whoa, like so much so much you endured and I first of all I'm so sorry I can't wait to get into your story but also want to be sensitive to whatever you don't want to share absolutely keep everything safe just share with whatever's important for people to glean a lesson from at this point I'm doing much better and it's important to me to share in a way that helps other people and the realization of how much people carry so much shame and hide from these is most people, truly. I have not actually ever seen anybody sharing the wife's story. And that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. So launch us into your story. So in, in 2016, my husband at the time was arrested for attempted human trafficking in a sting operation to meet an 11 and 14 year old. And he showed up. And I was a stay-at-home mom of three kids. My youngest was one, I'm still nursing. My oldest is almost six. And my whole life revolved around my kids. And I was the homemaker type. And that, that was my entire life. And I had absolutely no idea what was going on. So this is a complete shock to you. Yes, complete shock. He, he literally just didn't come home one night. 
he was on his way home from from his mom's house actually after work and then he didn't come home and I didn't find him till about five o'clock in the morning when dispatch transferred me to the jail when I was like can I file a missing persons report he didn't come home oh wow yeah wow so I had no idea what was going on and it was now, did he admit it to you or did he, he claim that he was falsely? He claimed he was falsely, that he was trying to figure out if it was real because he he didn't think that it was real and he wanted to figure out if he could report it. But what he did admit to was solicitation of adults. And so he basically said, yeah, yeah, I've been seeing escorts forever, but I wasn't doing that. Mm. Which was also a shocker. Because, again, married with three kids, and he was just nonchalantly like, oh, yeah, I've been cheating on you all these years. I mean, yeah, it's like too much to take in. You're like, wait, I, I didn't even know what to, what, what? Excuse me? How long has this been going on? Oh, like forever. He was very flippant about it. And at the same Like since probably you first met? Was he always seeing escorts? He had been seeing them since he was 20. And okay. he said there was a period of time where he stopped. And then once I had children, he picked it back up again. So he had basically been doing it most of our marriage. And I, on one hand, was upset. But on the other hand, he was charged for a very serious crime, which I was, I, I didn't even understand how to wrap my head around. And I, for a long time, chose to believe his story. And I had a lot of trauma around my own dad leaving and my kids growing up without a father like I did. And it was very much in my head, my responsibility to fix that and to support him so that he was better so that the kids had their father. And so I didn't even see another option. It wasn't like I sat there and weighed my options. I I literally just operated from trauma and from a shock perspective, I was I was on complete fight or flight and all I could do was the only thing I could think to do, which was to support him through the criminal hearing. Wow. Wow. So I have a, two questions. I'm not sure which one to ask first. I guess we could go through the criminal hearing. So you were supporting him through that. Right. When was your awakening moment that you're like, this is not okay? I can't not till after. To support him. Not till Until after. Was he convicted? He pled guilty to attempted solicitation of a minor and received four years of probation. So he never went to jail. He spent two nights in jail in the original arrest, and that was it. Which, so, you know. Now what? he was, yeah, wait a second. Well, obviously, I'm not going to assume. Like, I am just have to ask the, like, elephant in the room. Is he a cis white male? Yes. Yes. Privileged, privileged white man did not go to jail for, okay. for showing up to meet an 11 and 14-year-old for sex. Correct. So, so here's my question about sex trafficking. Is it something, because I thought it was like someone who traffics the kids for the other people, or is it also if you interact with them that you're also trafficking? Basically, if you're agreeing to buy or sell trafficked children, you are participating in trafficking. Got it. So he got bored with the normal adults and then started to dabble. Well, yeah. they they offered kids. So the, the way the sting worked is they put an ad mm. for adults, and when they offered children, then they saw who who continued the conversation and who participated and then who showed up. Wow. Okay. Another question is, so the sting operation, did these kids know that they were part of a sting operation? There was no kids. There was no real kids. Oh, got it. Got it. Okay. 
that my like my brain went to the literal yeah. like yeah, yeah. no there was no real kids <laughs> it was pretend kids but it didn't matter yeah. that's irrelevant from an intent right. perspective right yes my gosh so the wake up moment for you when you said i am operating out of trauma which of course you don't think about that in your head but you're like this is not okay i cannot continue to support him yes. like, where was that moment so it happened in stages so mm-hmm. after the criminal trial, after he actually moved back in, he, I started to recognize I couldn't be with him anymore. Like, despite all of it, I couldn't be with yeah. somebody. And every time he would look at me or try to be intimate with me, I could feel all of these other people in the room. It was like there was literally ghosts in the relationship. And I couldn't, I was coming home from work and drinking a half a bottle of wine before I could even look at him. I was having a very hard time. And so I realized I couldn't stay married to him anymore. But I also took a massive burden on that, saying I was now choosing to leave. I was breaking the family up. This was my fault now. And he exasperated that, of course. course. And I actually started to date a coworker because I that's what I found myself attracted to doing. And in a lot of ways, it was very healing because it was somebody who wasn't connected to all of this and who could see me in for I was and see me as more than just a mom and a wife and doing all of that. And after that ended, he tried to get back together with me and I was not interested. I was still very, nope, we're going to just try to figure out how we can be civil for the children. He filed for divorce. He filed for divorce to try to manipulate me, essentially. He was, Mm -hmm. he thought if he filed for divorce, I would come back to him. And that really started the downward spiral of his mental health. Now, it wasn't good to begin with, but the further, the less I supported him, the more I became the problem. And the more he went on attack of me, the more that he started to alienate the children against me. And the more I saw how really deviant his behavior was. But truly, it wasn't until I saw my own children being groomed that I actually got it. Mm. And so my, my middle child's behavior changed. And when I really started to understand what was happening, then I was like, well, hello, what was he arrested for? <laughs> That's been right in front of your face this whole time. Yeah. And I had a huge battle then with the family court because of yeah, the I fact I supported him in the criminal trial. It was I now had to prove that he was dangerous today to these children today. But I know it depends on state to state, but if he already has a criminal record with that, you think it would be like automatic, like, it's oh, irrelevant. he's a perpetrator. Nope. He shouldn't have any custody of his children. It's irrelevant. The state of Colorado had a Supreme Court ruling that actually said the constitutional right to parent is stronger than the potential sex offense unless they are directly accused of something against their kids, basically. Unless you can prove that these kids are the issue. Because there's this belief that you're different with your own children. That's the belief. And that's the, the Supreme Court of Colorado's opinion. And so it was, it was completely irrelevant. It was, we were looking at 50-50 for a long time. Wow. Which was flipping terrifying, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And were you very open in communicating with your children of like, communicate to me if anything feels off or that started to happen later on once I understood and that's actually where I started to get some new information about what was going on because I was reading them books there's lots of books out there about keeping bodies safe and private parts privates and that's when Mm -hmm. they would go oh but it's okay if it's animated right that thing I'd be like showing them animated porn 
or a version of. That's the only assumption mm-hmm. I can make. Obviously, I have no, you, you can't question a seven-year-old like that without needing yeah. any information. I All I could do was collect data and follow my gut and follow everything as it presented and collect mm-hmm. more and more information to provide for the court, essentially. Yeah, and that is key, is collecting that information. Also making sure that you don't make the child feel like they've done anything exactly. wrong, but also know that, actually, honey, that's not okay. Like, <laughs> Right. Well, and they because of how he had been speaking to them and trying to make me the bad guy, I also be very careful that I right. wasn't making them think that they were going to be in trouble or he was going to be in trouble because they were, especially my middle child, who's also very empathetic, was very much protective because he knew daddy was in trouble and he knew daddy was lonely when he wasn't there because he told them that and he knew that I was the one who wouldn't forgive them. And so I was the one who left and it was, and I had to be very careful with the conversations. I know listeners are like leaning into this because they feel your frustration and pain because this is what, no matter what you label it, mentally unhealthy person, narcissist, sociopath, predator, whatever you want to call it. Yep. They are not in their right mind. And this is what they do is to, they blackmail the children, they guilt the children, they become the victim Mm -hmm. and they make you the healthy parent be the one who is the bad parent, the bad person. And this happens in so many different instances. Yeah. It's Um, false equivalence was his favorite tactic. You you dated this guy out in the open and told me about it. So clearly it's the same. No, you're like, but it's like that Friends episode. But we were separated. Or what was that? But we were separated. But I told you about it. But I didn't lie. But he was an adult. But I didn't pay. But I didn't. Yeah, I didn't do it behind your back. We will be right back after this break. Thank you for your podcast and book. It has helping me through this dark period. Thank you for sharing your story. End quote. I have heard this countless of times, and I am so grateful. My guidebook is to serve you in your healing journey, and it weaves my story into lessons and is a must-read on your self-discovery journey. I've included 20-plus healing resources, such as guided meditations, exercises, and journal prompts to heal and to understand your human design and some astrology concepts as well. You can buy your copy of my book, Empath and the Narcissist, How to Overcome Narcissistic Abuse and Recover from PTSD, Codependency, Gaslighting, Manipulation, and learn how to live your true self with Human Design 101 on Amazon and listen on Audible. I remember when I first left my ex, how I lost everyone and I felt alone. We are not meant to go through these extreme hard times alone. We are meant to heal in community, in ritual, in circles, and to have people pull us out of our holding patterns. This is why I've created the Empath Healing Community. I believe that you need and you will receive a group of like-minded empaths on a similar healing journey, your questions answered in Q&A events, live meditations, inspiring music that you can listen to and pump you up while you're working out, education on healing as empaths and how to use your human design as a tool to do so, and a monthly group healing ceremony circle. You can join the community today for only $12.50 a month if you sign up by February 28th as an OG member. The original price is $17 a month. Click the link in the show notes. Yeah, that is not at all the same. No. That's total gaslighting. Absolutely. Yep. And I had never really experienced the extent of gaslighting and the amount amount of how much that really messes with your head. 
and how much you really you start to believe that you're the problem. And on one hand, that's not true. On the other hand, clearly something's not right. And it really messes with you. And it really made it difficult for me for a long time to even figure out what I wanted. I couldn't, I just, I gave all my power away to the system and the specialist because I, you figure it out. Clearly, I don't know how to do this. And it took me seeing how bad it was getting because the system couldn't save us. The system wasn't set up to protect anybody. The system is only punitive in this case. And I had to really shift myself in order to get us out of that situation. Absolutely. You have to become that warrior mama bear. Like you said, collecting all the evidence, knowing exactly what you need to make sure the system can protect you by being punitive. Right. And sometimes it's like, well, it's common sense, right? Like I just said, well, he's, he has a record, like common sense, but it didn't matter. Yeah, being educated about the laws specifically in your state, mm-hmm. like each state is different. So knowing those laws and getting your plan in action is really important. Like you said, and getting your head on straight, which is like the hardest step. <laughs> like, it is. It's the hardest <laughs> And And being consistent with that. And I had to get to the point where I was... I was going to leave no stone left unturned. I was going to ask for help from anybody, anybody who popped into my head. Everybody knows somebody. Everybody, somebody's knows somebody. Like I, I had to go on a war path to make this happen. So the burning question is you gained, was that enough evidence, the conversations you had with your children or how else did you gather evidence? So once I had this realization and this was, I didn't really shift myself until about six weeks before my final hearing. So it took me some time and it took me a lot of going on. It was actually a big part of a spiritual awakening because it was a meeting with a psychic, actually, who I didn't really believe in at the time that really shifted picks for me. And so once I got it, once I was like, OK, he has no desire to get better. I could see that he was not interested in healing himself. I could really feel that I was holding open this trajectory that my kids would still have a father because he was going to get better and heal even though I was seeing what was going on. But again, because of my own trauma and fear and everything that I had been experiencing, once I got it, I really started to go and ask for help for everybody and anybody. And that's really when miracles started to unfold because I thought that I was doing everything. I had already called Child Protective Services. I had hired all the people, but I didn't really choose 100% that this was the only outcome I was going to allow. And once I did, and once I got that, I discovered that this girl I worked with had an uncle who worked for ICE who put me in touch with Homeland Security, who got me the arresting officer, who put me back in touch with the police department with the right people who helped me reopen the case against the, with Child Protective Services. My realtor had me call the district attorney who unsealed the case file from the criminal offense, which I had never mm-hmm. seen before. I started recording my kids, and that's and getting actual information from them just in a what's been going on way. We got enough. We actually reopened an evaluation that we had done. And so the, I could funnel everything through the third party so that it, was a, it wasn't just me being upset because you have to be very careful in right. divorce cases that you're not just the upset divorcee. Yeah. And so I had to really follow the rules while also taking a very hard stance, while also basically saying, this stuff is not okay and I'm not okay with what's going on and we need to provide safety and security for myself and my kids. And I really didn't want any more than supervised visitation to be awarded. 
And at the same time, I'm having to share custody in this process. Through the custody battle, you're also sharing custody. Right. So my kids are having to go back over there through this, which was very, very challenging. But I just held so tightly to if it doesn't work this time, it's because there's more information I need and I'm just going to keep going. And so every time something didn't go through, I said, OK, there's more I needed. And I learned more information each time. And my evidence binder by the end of it was like a three inch thick thing with <laughs> so much stuff. And yeah. the evaluative reports were on a one inch binder. And his evidence was a couple of pieces of paper stapled together. It was yeah. it was shocking how different it was. And so combined with everything that I got in that last six weeks, plus the progression of the case completely was enough that in March of 2020, two weeks before the pandemic hit, my divorce was finalized and the judge revoked all of his overnights. She gave him just a couple of afternoons a week and she gave him six weeks to comply with the court's requirements that he had done none of so far. And if he didn't comply with the court's requirements after that, he was going to only allowed to be allowed to have supervised visitation. And he did not a single thing. And so the last time we've heard from him is April of 2020. And we have not heard a word of any kind since then. Right. So now he discards because he doesn't get it his way, how he wants it. He has to have visitated, you know. Correct. And visits, he, as visits. And he's like, no. And no. he doesn't have control of me anymore because I was, regardless mm. of what happened, I would always have full decision making. And yeah. that was something that he was not okay with because that's how he controlled me. Yeah. Through the kids. That Correct. is how they do it. Correct. Yep. Guilt and manipulation through the kids. Correct. And so at that point, he, he mm -hmm. peaced out. I mean, we literally have not heard a single thing. He has not paid a dime of child sports and honestly don't care. Yeah. Wow. Go you. Go mama bear. She can do it. You can do it too out there listening. Yes. Absolutely. That is the key, to be honest. Like, I know there's a lot more to it, but like you said, like have as much like three inch, one inch, all this, like have like hundreds yes. of pages of papers. Yes. That is how you work the system. And that is how you show the proof. And that is, that is exactly. absolutely no stone left unturned. There was no question no that the reason I was okay. saying these things in court wasn't because I was upset with him, but because I had real reason to believe things were going on. Yeah. Right. And you had, that's just a, a beautiful thing too, that you had set that intention. Like mm -hmm. this is the path I'm taking. The door is closed on hoping he repairs and gets better. Yeah. This is the path I have to take. And then once you did that, like your intention did open doors and magic did happen. Exactly. And well, maybe my lawyer was like, you did this. Like we could have <laughs> not done this. We could have not gotten this much information. We've never seen something like this before. Because the truth is most people end up sharing custody with their abusers and their children's abusers. And that yeah. just, I was unacceptable to me. Yes. There's something that definitely ignited in you, in your soul, in your spiritual awakening. Yes. And I 100% relate to you. I would never leave one stone unturned if my children had to stay overnight with someone who I knew was doing harm to them. That would cause trauma to them that I would have to yeah. send them to therapy. I mean, you know, you're... Your mama bear wants to go pick them up and run and cross the borders and right. you can't you can't do that either. And so you really have to be strategic and be trusting and yet also be so firm and so much have so much resolve that you're not going to stop. 
And that's what I told myself. If I don't win now, it doesn't matter because I'm going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Never give up. Yep. Never give up. You only you only lose if you give up. And that's what they're hoping for, mm. right? That like continual manipulation and control is just so that you give up. Like that's how they win. Yep. So tell me a bit more about how did you work on your mental health? Well, <laughs> what's funny, I actually graduated from multiple therapists throughout the whole process where they would be like, you're fine, you're good, or we can't help you. That happens mm -hmm. to me all the time. And the first therapist I had been going to see when I was trying to figure out how to be in the marriage, that I had to stop mm -hmm. seeing her. And the second therapist I saw, she was the one who actually recommended I go see a psychic. And mm -hmm. she was shocked at what the system was doing. She had been in the system, but she was still like, I can't believe what's going on. I can't believe they, there's nobody who's going to do anything. I can't believe Child Protective Services is not doing anything, all of that. Yeah. And she was the one who said, have you ever seen a psychic before? And I was like, what? <laughs> is that even real? That's that's where I was at at the time. I was just crazy fortune tellers. There's even a thing. Hey. And she said, no, no, I know, I know a good one. And I was like, I'll try anything. Sure. Why not? Right. That's the point that mm -hmm. I was at. I'll try anything. Who cares? So mm -hmm. when I went to see that psychic, I was not totally sure I believed the whole thing. But the way she spoke to me and the way she read my energy and the way she talked about the past life that I was repeating, essentially, she was saying things that I hadn't shared with her. She was talking about all the thoughts in my head and all the fears that I had had that she was reading in this past life. And it was like she was in my head for the last four years. And I was like, holy crap. And the realization that I was holding on to fear that wasn't even this lifetime's fear and the reason I was so afraid of him because he had never laid a hand on me in this life was because he had beaten me to death in a previous one. And I was holding on to that fear still. And it was this understanding that I needed to make a choice to not let that fear stop me, to not let anything that happened in the past stop me, to not let my fear of my kids growing up without a father stop me because I was going to be repeating the same thing. And if he didn't beat me to death in this time, I would certainly manifest some illness to peace out because I was not going to be able to continue like this much longer. And yeah, so, that constant state of yeah. fight or flight, your nervous system. Exactly. Yeah. And at that point... I ended up with a third therapist who was more PTSD aware and she diagnosed me with PTSD because I was having panic attacks every time he'd call me, essentially, yeah. because the amount of fighting over the kids and the schedules and the and the things mm -hmm. was was we were we were considered high conflict at that point. Yeah. And absolutely. I would also say your PTSD probably linked up into the anxiety of what is he going to do now? Yes. Like how, like you feel out of control. Like how is he going to manipulate this out when you don't want it to, but you're like, but it's going to happen. Like, huh? and your body like starts. Your body out, right? has a huge reaction to it. And yeah. so I didn't have tools at the time. I didn't have my, the therapist would send me meditations to try to help me relax and just try to help me calm my nervous system. And the only thing I knew yet to do was really more talk therapy. And it just felt like I would just go and vomit it all out, but it didn't, it didn't really do much. Even after I received full custody, I remember driving around and this is like pandemic now time. And so you're not really driving around much. But every time I would see something that looked like his car in the distance, my heart would stop. I would have, mm -hmm. are we going to run into him somewhere? Are we going to see him somewhere? I was on high alert and I had been living on, in fight or flight for basically the last four years. Yeah. And and so all of the therapists were like, everything you're doing aligns with all of these things. You're just now experiencing 
so much of the trauma that happened four years ago. Like I had suppressed so much of it. Well, because you feel safe. Finally, you're relaxed, but you're not really like the fight and the healing is not over once the actual physical earth fight is over. Exactly. And so that's actually what catalyzed me once we got out of it. And once I realized, okay, there's more to this universe. There's more. There's some of this is clearly real because I was very divinely guided to go see this person. And it shifted so much for me. If she can do it, I can do it too. That's really how I operated. And so it sent me on a seeking and a searching journey and not just to connect to more in the universe, but also to understand how I could heal myself, how I could help my kids, because as hard as it was, they also lost a parent. And yeah. I went through a similar thing. My dad didn't completely vanish, but he was pretty much not around for, since, from the time I was nine. And my oldest was nine. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so it was very much about what tools do I need now to help support them? in a way that's going to help because therapy didn't really do much. Even play therapy with the kids didn't really shift the things for us. And so I jumped into a quantum healing modality that I started learning where we started talking about our Akashics and past lives. And we started talking about how do we get emotions out of our bodies in different ways. And I started to learn a bunch of different things. And I started to discover that I did have access to this information. I just didn't understand that I did. And I didn't know how to work with it before. And it was almost like this remembering and looking back and going, oh, that's what I did in that office. That's how I shifted so fast. That's what I didn't understand what timelines and trajectories were. I didn't understand what I was doing, even though I was doing it. And then, so it was like I was getting language and understanding and also new tools to be able to really understand how I could help other people, even in a different way, as they come through these situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And that's what you do now, correct? Yeah. You do yeah. medium. Well, I do. I do. I have a quantum healing business okay. and mm -hmm. I have now channeled my own modality where I really work with our consciousness because we sit divided in ourselves so much. We sit in duality with self and we push and pull against what what we want to do. And what I've discovered is if we can stop that push pull and recognize instead of choosing a side, we actually need to recognize we're all of the things and we need to contain more of who we are and we need to evolve that duality in a different way. We can actually shift our consciousness in a way that helps us put the weight and the importance on something that really can shift things fast for us. And so I teach that modality as well as work with people individually. And, and then also I have all of the other tools that I've learned through the whole process so depending on what comes up, because sometimes the reasons people are sitting and stuck is because of the past life or because of the childhood issue or because of things that have happened. And we can lift those things up while also looking at the big overall. Why are we recreating this experience in the first place? Mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful is if you believe in it or not, like looking at past lives is extremely powerful. I know that I've done some regressions myself and it's like, okay, I get it now. Like I can move forward. I understand now and I can release it and I can just like shift. Like it helps mm -hmm. you like shift, right? Like level up and step one step out of the mud. Keep on blooming your little. When we see we, it's we're, awareness is so powerful. If we can see what we're doing and we can. Oh, okay. I see what I'm doing here. I nice try. But now that I have the awareness of it, I can choose something else. I can really decide I don't want to do that anymore. 
And I think that takes a lot of letting the ego go, right? Like not dying, but just like, hey, just take a break and take a back seat over here. Let me look at this from my soul's perspective. And I truly believe that's powerful. Exactly. One last thing, we're going to backtrack just a tiny bit. And then we're going to talk about more about your book. But what are the signs of a sex trafficker? What if your narcissistic partner is like off? Like, what are some subtle signs to see? Well, so there's a lot that I missed, obviously. In hindsight, in hindsight, (laughs) there are flashing red flags that we ignore. The first big ones that I ignored was the fact that when we had first started dating and I was 18 or 19 at the time, so I was very young, he very much was romanticizing my teenage promiscuity. He very much wanted me to give him in detail all of the stories. He wanted the pictures that I still had of when I was 16. When you're 18, you don't think anything of it. But obviously, he was almost 30 at the time. And he very much wanted to replay those experiences. And I was like, I'm not going back there. I'm not that person anymore. He made me then feel guilty about things that I had done with others that I wouldn't do with him. And so that was a pretty big red flag that was the beginning of how he would proceed. But then he dropped it. Once we had kids, he dropped it and it wasn't a conversation. And I was like, oh, he moved on. Good. Mm -hmm. But looking back, he wanted to bring other people into the bedroom with us. He wanted to do all of these other things. And he acted like it was no big deal. So that was a big red flag I missed. Just that there was some type of sexual deviant behavior in general. He also... He had a really, his habit was basically to not answer his phone. And in the evening, he he would just say he'd come home from work when he finished. He worked 12 plus hour days. He, there were, if I tried to call at five and say, hey, are you going to be home for dinner? Maybe soon. And it'd be six, seven or eight sometimes when he would actually show up. And if I tried to be upset by it or have a conversation about it, again, I would be made to feel guilty that he was working so hard and so that I could stay home with the kids. And how dare I imply otherwise? So you see the pattern here, right? Every time I was thought about something. He had the power. He had the financial power. Correct. And he was, yeah, yeah. He was very coercive, controlling about that. And if, how dare I ever be upset with him because he was doing the best he could, of course. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so he worked in IT security. So I had none of his phone passwords or email passwords. He traveled for work and I would help him pack his clothes. But then... I would go to bed and he would finish packing everything else. He always had to have cash on him. Again, Mm, great excuses. We can say you're traveling. Of course you need those things. But, you know, all the things. He had a separate bank account I actually had forgotten about. Then people asked, how did you not see the money? Well, because he could allot his paycheck how he deemed fit. And we had more than enough. So I never noticed that there was money going to other accounts. That's Mm -hmm. not, I didn't have his HR documentation, right? Yeah. So there was lots of small, subtle things there that I missed. And I honestly, on some level, chose not to see. I believed that he was a good man. I believed that he was a good provider. And I was grateful that I could stay home full time with my kids when they were little. And I didn't want to rock that boat. And we didn't, we had no conversations other than kids and family. He didn't talk about his work at all. I didn't even know who his boss was, let alone his title. He had to keep everything separate. And so he very compartmentalized his life. Obviously, there was another compartment I didn't get to see at all, but all of that is glares back at you going, oh. So there was lots of red signs there. There wasn't any direct stuff with the kids specifically before that I noticed, but truly he wasn't around much. He was around on the weekends. 
And they weren't of age. They were babies. They were babies. And they wasn't until they were a little bit older. And so it wasn't until I understood all of that that I started to see it in a different way. Mm. And it takes a lot of bravery to see it. Yeah. It takes a lot of bravery. Yeah. And if you can do it, you all can do it too if you're listening and you have that gut feeling that you're like, oh, maybe I should check his phone or do whatever. Well, and that's the thing. I remember having the thought, I wonder if he's having an affair. That's the closest thought I could have. I remember having those thoughts and yeah, because he was either distant or when he traveled almost mm. a week out of every month. And I have, would have the thought and I'd be like, no, that doesn't make sense. Because he also told this whole story. He told me that I was the fourth person he'd ever been with. And so he played like innocence in a sense. And I was also his third wife. So clearly he didn't date. He just had long-term monogamous relationships. And so it, except the truth was I was the fourth person he didn't pay. Even mm-hmm. early on in a relationship, I was actually the one he cheated on his second wife with. Like all of those are quite big red flags. And you knew that you were the other. I did. I did. Yeah. And he told me that they were broken up and they were, he was leaving her and all of that. But it took a year. It took a year of him to actually do it. And there was story after story after story. But again, I was 18, 19 and really wanted to believe that he was not lying to me and that he. Right. I mean, 18, 19, you're so young. You think you're an adult and everything. But honestly, like you really haven't grown up until at least you've hit 30. Right. (laughs) Maybe 40. I feel like I'm finally growing up and I'm almost 40. (laughs) Right. So there was I mean, there was a ton of red flags. Right. Yeah. But yeah. But especially at that age, it's like you don't see it. You're not you're as experienced, life experienced, nor are you thinking like that at all. You're still very right. naive got, or innocent in your I was your I got pregnant with my oldest at 22. And mm-hmm. by that point, it was, OK, now we're going to get married and have a baby. And so it's like, OK, I succeeded. That's how I remember looking at it. Like he did leave his wife. We are together. We bought a house together. We're happy. Look, I like, succeeded. Mm. I was right. And I held on to that one for a long time, too. Wow, that was a that's a hard shadow to let go of. Yeah. And I think we all as women do that because we feel like we have no power in this mm-hmm. patriarchal men controlled experience. Plus, when you're dealing with someone who is like that, very controlling, emotionally manipulative, that is your only way is to like use your female mm-hmm. productive system to control them, which is meeting shadow to shadow, really. Right. Yeah. Well, and it wasn't in, in conscious or intentional by any means, but it is what yeah. happened. And yeah. like, yay, perfect. Right. And he, <laughs> he shut down when I was first pregnant. He was terrified to have kids and terrified to get married again and fail again and all of these things. And I didn't see that as a red flag. I was just like, he'll get over it. He'll get through it. Right. Treating him as a little ch- child boy, as a grown man, which is another right. red flag. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's my own wounding again, where I'm, I take care of everybody around me and I mother mm-hmm. everybody in every relationship I've ever been in. And that's a lot of us do that. And you see the wounded boy inside. You see the child that has been abused themselves and you want to help them and you see the possibility for them and you hold on to that and ignore all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. That's powerful, Amanda. That is that is the crux of why we stay or try and make it work or mm-hmm. fix it with these types of men. Mm-hmm. But we really, really we really should be running. Like run for the hills as soon as you can, but it Wait. is a bit of our own arrogant nursing wounded warrior type of a Exactly. 
karma that we have to release. Exactly. And I, I created a very big one for myself to do that with. But at the same time, I don't know that I would have listened to the small signs. I don't know that I would have gotten out yeah. in the same way. And I, didn't, I wouldn't have had this big story to share. And it catches people attention. It shocks people every single time. And I want people to know that no matter how bad it is, because it, it can be really, really bad, there is a way through. There is a way to the other side. There is a way to take back your power. We truly can create our own realities if we believe we can. Beautifully said. Absolutely. Amanda, so your book is coming out in January. Yes. Do you have, you obviously have your story in there, but are there other ways to help and, and different things? Tell us so about your the, book. So it's coming out January 10th. The book is primarily the story. It's the whole thing within great detail. After my divorce was over, it was striking to me how many people share custody with their abusers and their children's abusers. And that they not only financially can't begin to have the fight, but even if they can, they give their power to the system and they end up not succeeding. And they and there are people who are now and then these kids go through this cycle and we recreate it over and over again. And so I want to do something to help. I want to educate people. I want to help people with the mental emotional state. I want to help people pay for the legal fight if they really can't do that. And I want to build a community that can really support people in a way that isn't for trauma bonding, but really is about helping people feel seen where they are. Because a big part of my journey was I isolated for so long. I was so scared to talk to people. I felt so much judgment from the outside world that it meant the only safe person to talk to was the person who caused the trauma. And it's another big reason I stayed in my marriage is in a lot of ways, like kidnappers protect their kidnapper is that's the only safe person they know. They're so isolated. And being able to have a supportive community and people around you and people you can go to to help you shift that is very, very important to me. And so part of my goals in putting this book out there is to raise funding so that I can start this nonprofit and to invite people to really change their own lives. Beautiful. That's so important. Thank you for your work in that, Amanda. And then maybe as you do that, there'll be magic happening where you can connect with the right people to change the Supreme Court law in Colorado about that. I would love to. I mean, it's actually, interestingly enough, it's a new law and it's, they updated it in the last, it's been not even 10 years now since they updated it. So it, it actually took effect just days before he pled guilty, interestingly enough. So, <laughs> yeah, the one at the time I was grateful because it meant he could come home. But obviously, in hindsight, that's not. And I'm sure that Colorado is not the only state with very lenient laws against sex offenders. And the amount that the court does not understand about trauma and trauma bonding and what happens and why women stay in marriages and the fact that that then becomes a deterrent in you now have an uphill battle in family court to say why you stayed and that that is used against you. It's another set of trauma that people have to go through. Yeah. And the court is not educated in any way to understand that. Like I had, I had to basically explain myself for proof for staying in the first place. And, and I wasn't just trying to get back at him because we were getting divorced. That's basically what the court thinks is happening. When they don't have any idea what's really happening. And so 
I would really love mm. to bring enough awareness. In January is Sex Trafficking Awareness Month and from a federal mm. standpoint. And so I really want to spread as much awareness as possible. And it's not, I mean, the victims of sex trafficking obviously have a huge story, but people don't understand what the families go through. And yeah. the amount of do we do we support our person or not? And how do we believe them? And what's the truth? And there's so much that goes on. And I think it's so important for people to hear this side of the story. Thank you for sharing your story and being so vulnerable and, and now being healed, willing to help others. Thank you. Um, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's why we go through these things. We have to do something with it because we don't yeah, go through it well, for nothing. Some of us, it's just for our own personal karmic journey. Well, but then those who really have that more mature spirit, they go, okay, now I get it. Now I know why I'm here. I'm here to help others too. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, and I don't want to stop there. I want, I really want to, for me personally, it excites me to explore the levels of consciousness we can access and the way we can really shift and evolve in a different way. And from the depths of the depths to where we can go within this lifetime. And and I want to bring it all together because there's so much more we can help people with. Mm, absolutely. Where can everyone follow you and connect with you? Yes. So if you want just updates on the book, I have a website directly for the book. It's the sextraffickerswife.com. Today, before the book comes out, you can sign up for updates. I will email you. The amount of requests I've had for people to say, message me directly. I love you all. I can't do that. So <laughs> too many. Right. So you can email us and she will email you directly. <laughs> I will email you and tell you where you can buy it and when you can do that. So that's the sex traffickerswife.com. If you want to work with me from a healing perspective, my website is amandaquickhealing.com and I have programs and I work one on one with people and you can reach out with me and just chat. And the nonprofit I'm starting, which doesn't have a website yet, but it's the Golden Haven Foundation. And I've just filed with the state and there's a whole lot of setup and a whole lot that has to happen. But once I have some funding and some people on board, then we can stay tuned for that. But either site, I'm sure we will be sending out emails and inviting people to support that as well once it's set up. Yeah. Absolutely. It's all connected. Absolutely. Exactly. And those links will be in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah. And I am on I'm on all of the platforms with the same tags, the sex traffickers wife or Amanda Quick Healing. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you again so much for being here, Amanda. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Wow. What a powerful conversation with Amanda. And again, you can get her book on Amazon. I have eight. No, I have nine. I have nine takeaways here. Number one is we talked about the signs of grooming and sexual abuse. Gaslighting really messes with your head. The system can only protect you through evidence and proving someone guilty. You have the power within you. Number five is how to gather evidence. I really loved that we touched on how narcissists manipulate us through the kids. Number seven is maybe you need to be open to a psychic reading again from a reputable psychic i would have to say number eight is all of this sent her on a spiritual awakening journey which i know it has for all of you and the last one is watch out for the signs of narcissists know the red flags and know what the signs are for uh, sex offenders and predators 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can take a screenshot and share it to your socials and tag me at Raven Scott Show and our guest and rate and review this podcast. Don't forget, for a limited time only, you can grab your free copy on Audible. Just sign up in the link in the show notes and I will email you your own special code to redeem your free copy. This episode certainly is going to drum up a beautiful conversation. So head over to the Patreon, Empath Healing. Follow the page for free and join the conversation on the top post there and contribute your feedback and your thoughts about this episode. And remember, always keep your unique light shining. And I know of sadness, the anxious and panic, the infinite vastness of all that is blackness. Meditation can end your suffering from the heartache of narcissistic abuse. Know that daily meditation practice can change your brain's chemistry. Holiness the Dalai Lama challenged a scientist to study the brain waves of someone who does not meditate versus a regular meditator. And they applied a pain pressure. And when they're about to feel the pain in the MRI, they gave a beat. And the person who did not meditate their brain chemistry started to go into fight or flight when they heard the beep, when they felt the pain, and then after they felt the pain, they ruminated on the pain. And the person who regularly meditated heard the beep, brain didn't do anything, received the pain, the brain ignited, and then immediately it stopped after the pain went away. So what I'm trying to say to you is that daily meditation can help remove the stress the heartache and the pain that you're feeling post betrayal from the narcissist. This is one of the reasons why I became a certified meditation teacher and now I'm hosting live meditations on the Luvo app and it's because it helped me remove all of the heartache, remove the PTSD and the pain and suffering that I was going through. So I encourage you to download the Luvo app today. It's 100% free to download the app 